Merry Christmas. It is, uh, just in case you don't know, nine days. You know, nine days, it's almost here, and yet we don't quite get to open it yet, right? The lights are up, the tree is up, at least it better be. Right? The lights are up, the tree is up, the sights and the sounds, they're here. It's Christmas, and yet it's not. Because we are waiting for the day. It's interesting to me how at Christmas people act differently. Somebody was even telling me last Sunday they had gone through a, a drive through line, and when they, when they got to the window to get their stuff, the person who was in front of them had paid for their stuff. That was nice. And so they decided that they were going to pay for the stuff for the person coming behind them. They did admit then that they looked in their rearview mirror to make sure it wasn't a minivan, but, but they did it. But they did it. I mean, it, when it's Christmas, that's the kind of stuff. It's how people tend to think. I love this season, and yet the truth is businesses are not yet closed like they will be on Christmas morning. The streets are not yet empty like they will be on Christmas morning. Why is that? It's because it's Christmas, and yet... It's not yet. It's already, but not yet. That's the series that we're, we're working through right now. And I, I want you to understand, it, it's something where it doesn't just apply to Christmas, but we're working through this series because it applies to Christians. It, it applies to, to those of us who follow Jesus, just just like it, it feels like right now in this season, there is this already, can you believe that Christmas is here, and yet, not yet. Not yet. We're, we're looking toward that day. Well, the same is true for those of us who follow Jesus. There is so much that's already happened, and yet there is so much that has not yet happened. We live in this space between. We look back at Jesus' birth. That's what we're celebrating right now. We look at his birth and his life and his death and his resurrection. We look back, maybe at the moment for many of you, when you first put your trust in Jesus and, and he gave you life, we look back at those things and yet we are still looking forward to the sin shattering, hope-realizing day of Jesus' return where there will be no more pain and no more sickness, no more death, no more sorrow. We are waiting. And listen to me. We are called to wait well. We are called to wait well. And today, we're going to get a picture of this kind of faithful waiting. And we're going to get it from the lyrics of a song sung by a young girl named Mary. Now, in case you've never heard really this, this entire story, Mary is in the middle of one of the greatest events in human history. She's engaged. 
She's engaged to be married, and she is probably a young teenager. But Mary is a God-fearing Jew. Her hope is in God. And so Mary is waiting for the day when God comes to execute justice on the, the pagan Roman Empire that now has its thumbs on her people, the Jews. She is waiting for such a day. She knows the prophecies. She knows what God has said. She knows what God has done. And now she is waiting for what God will do. And so I want you to imagine just an ordinary day. As Mary is planning for her wedding. And a visitor arrives. Not an ordinary visitor. For this is an angel of God. This is what the story tells us. Luke chapter 1 verse 30. I could just tell it to you, but at this point I was like, why would I just tell you this part when we can actually read it and you get the goods exactly like it is given to us. Luke chapter 1 verse 30. This is what the angel says to her. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked. Now come on, remember I told you this is what she's been waiting for. She knows what God has promised. She knows what's on the horizon. And now she's hearing, here he comes. But listen to her question. It's it's not just a question of, wow, is this the moment? Her question is, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Question God, how's this going to work? Verse 35, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God, no word from God will ever fail. I try to imagine all of the emotion that is in Mary's heart. You you think about there is an exciting piece of her starting to grasp the magnitude of what she is in the middle of, and yet 
realizing she's wrestling with her particular circumstances. Well, what, what happens next in the story is that we know that Mary goes to spend some time with Elizabeth. And, and I only imagine what, what those two ladies are like when they get together, both of them realizing God doing something miraculous in their lives. And in the middle of this Mary and Elizabeth meeting, Mary sings. She sings a song. And it is from a heart that waits well. It is from a heart who knows what has been promised and is looking forward to what will be. It is a heart that waits well. And today we learn from her. Let's skip to verse 46 and I'll show you what I mean. Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. Now she's singing. I'm not going to sing it because it would be better if I just read it to you. But she's singing and I'm sure it was beautiful. My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Everybody say his servant. I want you to hold that thought. His servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Mary starts with this language of, of, of I, I am his servant. And, and I want you to know it's the very same language that she uses right after the angel comes to her. We just read the text a few minutes ago. I stopped just short of reading verse 38 so that now I could show it to you because here's what it says in verse 38. She, she answers the angel, I am the Lord's servant. Same language. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. It is an astounding response if you think of Mary's circumstances. Because this 15-year-old has a lot to worry about. This probably 15-year-old has a lot to lose. She's engaged. And the man to whom she is engaged knows that this baby is not his She's got a lot to worry about, and yet that's not what we're going to hear from her because Mary waits well, and she waits well because she knows she is God's servant. Mary waits well because she knows that she is God's servant. Now, let me go ahead and package this for you because I want you to see how much this has to do with you and me. Just like Mary, we have all been given things by God. We have been blessed with gifts from him. The people in your life. Maybe it's like Mary, children, it's spouse, it's friendships, it's, it's your family. You have been given gifts by God, people, jobs, talents, responsibilities. What you have been given from God, you really have a couple of options of how you will view those. 
The first is to view it as we are God's servants, just like Mary said. Well, I, I am God's servant, which means I have been blessed by God and my life is to steward those things to which God has blessed me. In, in other words, it reads like this. Mary's saying, God, all of this is yours. All of this is yours. And I'm saying for us, it's saying, God, I'm recognizing that all of this is yours. My, my job, this belongs to you. My family, th this belongs to you. My future, this belongs to you. The circumstances that I'm in right now, God, this belongs to you. Will you help me do with what you've given me in such a way that it represents you well? God, help me to manage what you have given me in the right way with the prayer. God, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I am God's servant. But there's another option. There's another way to view this whole thing. And the second way to view it is not as I am God's servant. It is to view it instead, I am God. It is to view it as I am God and therefore I expect to be served by all that has been given to me. I am the one who owns it all, and therefore all that I own is supposed to actually serve me. Now, we, we, we believe that because we falsely believe that somehow we have earned what we've got, and we have somehow falsely believed that we are entitled to what we've got, whatever job or gifts or whatever. We, we think that we are entitled to those things. Therefore, if that's how you believe people exist for you, your job exists for you. Everything is for you. And your prayer looks more like this. My kingdom come and my will be done. I want to create on earth this self-exalting, self-indulgent version of heaven. That's what I'm waiting for. But we got to see that Mary chose door number one. Mary chose, I'm God's servant. That's how she waits. And because she chooses door number one and not door number two, there is something missing from this song that she sings. You know what it is? Fear. And worry. It's missing. I don't, I don't hear it in the song. And I'm telling you that the reason it's missing is because she chooses option number one. God, I am your servant. Because come on, this song could sound very different, couldn't it? If you and I were singing this song, uh, let me just put me. I, I, probably you're like Mary. I, I, God, I hope you know what you're doing. That's what my song would sound like. God, I hope you know what you're doing because I am really nervous about what Joseph's going to think here. God, I'm really nervous about what my parents are going to think here. God, I'm really nervous because I have no idea 
how to raise a child in this world, much less to raise the child who made this world. God, I hope you know what you're doing. But I love the fact that this is not a song of fear. It is not a song of worry. It is a song of faith. I'm God's servant, and so what I hold ultimately is not mine. Therefore, I am protected from worry, and I am freed to worship. That's how Mary sings. When, when we say that we are God, and we look at the things that God has given us as things to serve us, you realize we, we actually don't live for the day when we have all we want. When we take that view, we actually live for the day that we lose what we want. I'll show you a picture. When Matthew tells the story of Jesus' birth, he talks about a guy named Herod. Now, Herod was not a Jew. But Herod was appointed by Rome to serve as the king of the Jews. And Herod was a man who operated as though he was God. And everything that he had been given was to serve him. He built a kingdom on violence and bribery and oppression. And as a result, Herod lived most of his life terrified that one day he would lose what he had been given. One time, Herod was called to a meeting with the Roman Emperor Augustus. And what history tells us is that because Herod doesn't know what the purpose of the meeting is, he doesn't know what's about to unfold. Herod orders that his wife be executed. Why? Because he couldn't stand the thought of him not being there and her marrying someone else. Well, he survived. <laughs> she didn't. And he spent much of the rest of his life temporarily, we would say, insane. At one point, Herod has three of his sons killed. You know why he had three of his sons killed? Because he feared that any of them would take his throne. That what he had been given would be lost. It's no wonder then when we read the Christmas story and wise men show up from the east and say, Herod, we are here to worship the king of the Jews. And Herod says, well, you've found him. And they say, oh no, we have seen the star. There is a baby born a king. And what is Herod's response? Well, then let's kill all the babies. Why? He feared that he would lose what he had been given. And I'm telling you, not only did he lose what he couldn't keep, but he also missed eternity in the process. Is it not the case that the more we vie for greater and greater control of what we've been given, it leads to greater and greater fear and frustration? And think about the fact that fearing 
the day that you might lose it never actually prepares you for a day that you might lose it. It does absolutely no good. The person who stands firm when their business crumbles is not the one who stands there and says, I knew this would happen. The the person who stands firm when their business crumbles around them is the one who from day one said, God, I am your servant and this is yours. That's how you stand. Knowing that we are God's servants and stewards of what he's given us, it does not protect us from the pain of loss, but it does protect us from the pain that comes in fearing loss that hasn't even happened yet. You live your whole life of what if, what what if this happens, what will I do, will I be okay? And I'm saying there's another song for your life. It goes like this, God, I am your servant. Thank you for all that you let me hold. It is a gift from you. But God, I thank you most that you will hold me even if you choose to take everything else away. It's a different song. This girl can sing. God, I am your servant. But there's more. Not only does she understand that God that she is God's servant, but there, there's, there's more. we got to go back. we got to go back and read the verses again. Let's go back to verse 46. Mary said, I want you to know this song. My soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices, check out this part this time, in God my Savior. God, I'm your servant. And, and now, we're, God, you, you are my Savior for He has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. There is value and meaning to my life. Why? Because God, who is my Savior, has looked upon me with love, and, and he has done great things for me. Holy is his name. That is the foundational statement of every one of us in this room who really believe in him. God has done great things for me. In our addicted state, in our rebellious state, in our sinful state, he turned his eyes toward us. He uses his might for us and he has saved us by his grace. Mary waits well. Because she knows God is her Savior. She knows that he is, she is his servant, but, but she also knows that God is her Savior. And I'm saying when we wait well, we find ourselves in this tension between we have met Jesus, what he has done in our life, and yet there is still so much broken. There is still so much that hurts. There is still so much that we wait for. To wait well is to have this heart posture. I am who I am because of what God has done for me. You hear me? I am who I am. The value that I have is because I am who I am because of what God has done for me. What trips us up 
What messes us up is when we twist that around and we start to think that I am who I am because of what I've done for God. And we start to think I am who I am because of what I've done for others. And when you start operating that you are who you are because of what you've done for God or for what you've done for others rather than what he's done for you, you are exchanging a relationship with Jesus for a relationship with an idealized version of who you think you should be. You start showing your life kind of like people show houses. Anybody ever had to show a house like when you sell your house? You know, you know what I'm talking about? You, you, when you want to sell your house, you got to show your house. Anybody been through that process? Anybody been through that process? All right, it, it's fun, isn't it? It's fun because the first step of showing your house is you, you got to get it ready to show, which means it, it, it needs to be as spotless as possible. You got to stage the house because you want people to come live, you want them to come visit the house and be able to see themselves living there, not see you living there. Therefore, you have to declutter, right? You remember it? Right now, some of you are cringing in pain because you can remember what it was like. You gotta declutter. You, you gotta throw stuff away. And, and like, after you throw everything that you feel like you can possibly throw away, everything else gotta go into closets. And do you realize... What you're doing is you're trying to hide the fact that you live there. That's what we did. We're trying to hide the fact that we live there. I mean, let me just be a little vulnerable here and say if you came to our house on, on any average day, there might be a few dishes in the sink. Maybe once, right? There might be a few dishes in the sink. And, and, and there might be like a chewed up shoe in the middle of the living room. Because we have a dog who loves to chew. And, and she like even has special ch shoes that hopefully she will chew on so she will stay away from mine. If you, if you, come, to, if you come to my house, it's very likely you, you would see that. But when you want people to come in and see your home, you want them to experience it not how you actually live. You want them to experience it how you think it should be lived. And so come on, you remember the process? You get the text, hey, people are coming in an hour. And oh my goodness, you look like a NASCAR team, don't you? People go, people immediately take action, right? And the dishes are put up, and the floor is vacuumed, and chewed up shoes are thrown into somewhere, and the dog is put in the car, and you leave the house. And an hour later, you come back, and you start living in the house again. Until the next call comes, somebody's coming to your house in an hour. NASCAR kicks in again. D dishes are put up, right? Vacuuming happens. Dog, dog gets put in. The whole process happens. And all the while you're thinking, oh, if they open that closet door, what are they going to think? 
Oh, if they open that one drawer that has all the unorganized coupons and extra packets of Taco Bell sauce. What, what's going to happen if they open? You have that one? What's going to happen if they open that drawer? What are they going to think? Come on, I'm saying that is a picture of so many people's lives. It's what life looks like when you try to find meaning and value in what you think you do for God and what you think you do for others rather than what God has done for you. It's my need for people to encounter me in a way that's going to make me feel valuable. And they can't know that I'm weak. They can't know that I'm limited. They can't know my vulnerability. I shove all that stuff in the closet or I throw it in the garage and I just cringe at the fact that anybody would ever open that door of my life. And we exchange a relationship with Jesus for a relationship with an ideal self. But if instead the song of your life is God has done great things for me, then I am not waiting on the day that I fail. I'm not waiting on the day that I am found out. No, I live every day looking back to the day that I was justified. I was made right with God when I put my faith in Jesus for the first time. By his grace, he forgave me. He, 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 he entered my life. I look forward to the day that, that there, I will be glorified. The day when, when, when all sin will be no more, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more pain. And in between, I, I celebrate this, this sanctification process of, of loving, following Jesus, it's not exhausting. It's actually freeing because Jesus is kinder to me than I am. And Jesus is kinder to you than you are. Because he puts his arm around you. Or he holds your hand and you walk through the house together. And when you arrive at the rooms where there are messes, Jesus asks you the question, which part of this mess is not covered by my blood? Excuse me, but what is hiding in that closet that is stronger than the one who's stronger than death? And he walks with us as we grow. And he says, I don't want you to shrink back from going for this. No, you, you are not who you will be, but you're also not who you were. You are only a fraud when you pretend that every room is clean. What a song. This girl can sing. I am God's servant. God is my savior. It changes how we see it all. And then there is one more verse. Here's how it reads. Verse 50. 
His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary waits well because she knows she is caught up in God's story. God, I am your servant. God, you are my savior. And everything changes when you live understanding you are caught up in God's story and understanding that God's story is a reversal story. God's story is a reversal story. Jeff, what do you mean by that? Here's what I mean. Mary's world is run by men. Men who have so much power and so much wealth and so much pride. Anybody think that, that ends well? No, it doesn't end well. That usually doesn't lead to righteous behavior. That, that usually doesn't lead to good decision making. But into that reality, Mary sings a true story. The true story that Jesus Christ is the true king of the world. And because of that truth, a great reversal has begun. Now you think, what do you mean reversal? Well, did, you, did you hear what she said? That the song talks about the rich are made empty. The song says that the hungry will be what? Filled. The song says that the, the exalted they will be humbled. And it says that the humbled, they will be what? Exalted. It's a reversal. It's a reversal. It is the story of God. And I'm telling you, whispers of this reversal have, have always echoed down through the Old Testament. Amos, his words were, justice will roll down like waters. In the book of Isaiah, he says that the ruthless will be put to an end because the whole world will be full of the knowledge of God. This echo of a reversal has always been the message throughout Scripture. But where we're at today in this story, is that reversal story meets Mary's story. And what she says is, God looks on me in love. I was nobody. But now all generations will call me blessed. That's a reversal. She says, it's not just for me, it's for the whole world. 
that the Herods of this world, they're going to be brought low. But the Marys of this world, they're going to be lifted up. It's a reversal. That's what she sings. She sings this song of what will be, what is going to reverse, what is going to change. And so here's what I want you to see. Mary sings this song, and then what happens in her life? A song about how the poor, about those who have nothing like she does. She sings the song, and then what happens in her life? She gives birth in a barn. Wait, 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 wait. She gives birth in a cattle stall. I thought you said that the poor would be filled, would be lifted up. Then Mary spends the first three years of her son's life running from this guy named Herod. Wait, 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 wait. I thought you said he would be brought down. And, and I thought you said that the Marys would be lifted up. See, I want us to grasp today that Mary's reversal story is, is like our reversal story in that there is an already, but there's also what? A not yet. That's where Mary's working. That's where Mary's living. There is an already promise. There is an already she knows God. There is an already closeness that, that she trusts him and believes. But there is a not yet aspect to this to where Mary is literally still hiding for her life. And come on, this series is about the fact we're trying to admit that in the rooms of our house, when we live in this tension, there is frustration and there is often confusion. And one of the reasons is, is because I want to control the timing of the reversal. Anybody else with me? I want to control the timing of the reversal. God, thank you so much for what you have already done in my life. But God, I would like the not yet now. God, I, I, we're waiting on this, God. And if we're not careful, in that tension, in that waiting, our hearts can grow bitter. Some of you are mad at God for not delivering on promises that he never made to you. Some of you are mad at God for not delivering on promises that he actually never made to you. Because you see, the kind of promises he made were if they persecuted me, then they will persecute you. Oh, I thought he, I thought he promised to never let me struggle. I, I thought he promised to never let me hurt. I, I thought he promised that there would never be, be, be any more sorrow. No, we are mad at God for not delivering on promises that he never actually promised. He did not bait you with grace and then switch it for suffering. No, the Bible consistently tells us that waiting is difficult. Waiting is tough. 
when it's here, but it's not yet, right? There is, a, there is an agony that you see on the faces of, of your kids, and maybe you're with them, where when it gets this close to Christmas, you want to know what's in the package, right? You want to know what's in the box, but you got to wait, and there is, there is just this agony that happens in you. But when you put that in a context of a world that is broken, in a world that is waiting, the Apostle Paul said it's like labor pains. I have only observed. But that's bad stuff. My experience of observing is that is painful stuff. So how do we handle this? The only way I wait well is when I learn this song. I wait well when I know I am God's servant. God, I, I, the stuff that you've given me, the blessings that you have given me, God, those things are not to serve me. God, I, I want to steward what you have blessed my life with. God, you're my savior. God, you're my savior. This is not about what I have done for you. I am not going to live this false pretense of building up this false image. People see what I've done for you. People see what I've done for people. No, this is about what you have done for me. And I am caught up in God's story. It is the song. It is the song that leads us to wait well. This girl can sing. Can you? Now here's, here's, here's where I want to leave you. When the reversal doesn't come immediately for Mary, she knows these things. This is her song. I'm God's servant. God is my savior. I'm caught up in God's story. But when the reversal doesn't happen immediately, and Mary's still poor, Mary is still oppressed. Mary's still being chased by Herod. What does she do? And, and I'm convinced that this is not just a song Mary sang once. But I think this is the song of Mary's life. In the song, Mary said, all generations will call me blessed and the hungry are filled. I find it really interesting that in the very most, really the most famous sermon, typically that's attributed to Jesus called the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus uses a line like this, blessed are the hungry, for they will be what? Filled. I find it interesting that Mary sings God has brought down the mighty and has exalted the humble. It's interesting to me that one of Mary's other sons, now he's not son of God, this is Mary and Joseph who had other children. One of them was named James. He actually, there's a book in the Bible by his name. And if you get to chapter 4, this is what James tells us, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. Huh, that sounds familiar. Now, I'm not saying that Mary 
is the source of, of, of all that truth. I'm saying God is the source of that truth. But I, I don't think it's a stretch at all to wonder if Mary did not sing this song throughout her life. Her, her family hears her sing this song while she's waiting for the story to come true the song is my soul magnifies the Lord my spirit rejoices he looked on me in love the hungry are filled the mighty will fall the reversal has come she sings so imagine a day as Jesus is growing in popularity And with the popularity comes hostility. And suddenly people are making threats against his life. Her son. He's teaching at a particular house this day, and so imagine Mary, she, she, she goes to the house. We, we know, we read the story. She, she goes to the house, she wants to see Jesus, but she is turned away. Maybe, maybe she's going there to try to talk him down a little bit. You know, Jesus, uh, th- there are threats on your life. Do you, do you know the magnitude of what you're saying? We, we don't know, but what we do know is she gets turned away. And come on, you got to believe on that day, this mom is confused, and surely there's some doubt. But what if she walks away from the house that day? And in her doubt, she chooses to sing. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices. He looked on me in love. The hungry are filled. The mighty will fall. The reversal has come. God, help me understand what's happening with my son right now. Because this does not look like what I thought it was would look like she's in Jerusalem and Jesus is arrested throughout his trial she is near she knows this doesn't look good for her son and as hard as she tries she, she cannot go to sleep that night But I imagine on her bed, Mary makes a choice like she had done throughout her life, a song. My soul magnifies the Lord. You looked on me in love. The hungry are filled. The mighty will fall. The reversal has come. God I trust you with his life, but God, will you do something for my son? And then we see Mary at a cross. One of only a few followers who are there. And she watches her own son experience an agony that she can't take away. And she watches him die, he's taken down. And John, 
who Jesus said, you, you take care of her. John takes Mary by the hand and he says, Mary, we've got to go. And she walks away from that horrendous scene. And I'm saying, I, I can imagine no song can be sung. She just can't even voice anything. But the greatest news in the world is that she didn't have to wait long because the greatest reversal in the history of mankind is about to unroll when three days later, Jesus comes walking out of a tomb. He is risen. He is victorious, declaring that death's days are now numbered. And I just wonder what it was like for a mom when she embraced her son risen from the dead. I don't have a problem imagining a song. My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices. You looked on me in love. The hungry are filled. The mighty will fall. And the reversal has come. God, now I know what I couldn't see before. I am your servant. You are my Savior. And my life is in your story. The challenge is simple. Keep singing. You got to keep singing. If you have this song, you keep singing. You, you, you keep declaring, even when you don't understand, God, I, I am your servant. You keep declaring, even when you don't understand, God, you are my Savior. And you keep declaring what he has declared, the truth. You are in his story and a great reversal. It is on the way. And for some of you, there is a day coming. Children will be embraced again. Parents will be embraced again. Siblings will be embraced again. No more pain. No more sorrow. No more tears for those who have placed their faith in Jesus. And listen to what I'm about to say. This seems long. It seems like it's never going to get here. Are we ever going to get to open this part of the gift? But once it is opened, it will never end. That's why I struggle because I can't get that contrast. This seems long. It seems like I want to give up, but don't you give up because once that gift is opened, it will never end. That means I can keep on singing. I may need you to remind me. Sometimes you might have to carry the first note. Could you, could you, could you just hum a little bit so that I will keep on singing? That girl could sing when you're done. May that be the testimony of your life. That man, that woman, that mom, that dad, that, that they could sing a story that changed everything. I'm going to pray for you, and then we're going to sing. I invite you today, if you've never put your trust in this Jesus, you don't have, a, you don't have this song to sing. You, you may have a song, but you, you've never trusted in him. I, I want to encourage you. We're going to be over here to the side in the back. If, if you, you've never 
put your trust in Jesus today, you, you, you should do that. Talk to somebody about that. We'll be ready. I'll pray. We'll sing.